Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Okay, I got, I got a lot to share today. It's a tough message today. We're talking about the concept of truth in this new series. Really quick, I just want to read two scriptures. We're going to get right into it today. First one is John chapter 4, verse 21. Here's what the Bible says. I'll give more context on this in a little bit. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation. Salvation is from the Jews, yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Okay, I got one more scripture to share. We're going to pray, then we're going to get right into it. John 18, uh, just a little background on why I'm sharing this. This is an interesting moment with Jesus. He's he's, uh, about to go to the cross, and he's standing before an authority figure named Pilate, who's part of the government in Rome in that area, and... uh, and, uh, or he's a ro- part of the Roman government in that area, and, and he's about to go to the cross, and uh, Pilate is questioning Jesus, and the topic of truth comes up. Look what it says. Uh, he says, you are a king then, says Pilate, John eighteen thirty seven. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then Pilate asks an awesome question, and this is the question I want us to be asking today that I hope to maybe give some clarity to, and it might be impossible, but I'm going to try. Here it is. What is truth? What is truth? That's what we want to ask today. It's two truths and a lie on truth. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us. Lord, would you speak to us today? We we need your help to see what's true so that the truth can set us free. We love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody said a big amen. Can we put our hands together one more time for Jesus in the house today? Come on. Amen. Thanks, Jack. Jack. I was making fun of Jack for a service because he always has to stand up here for so long and play the keys, and he's getting big, muscly legs standing up here, so there's a benefit. You know what I'm saying? Thanks, Jack. Uh, so I don't know if you've ever played this game, Two Truths and a Lie, okay? It's a fun game. It's a great, like, road trip game. Basically, what you do is you make up a lie, and then you make up something that's true that's a bit of a stretch, and you try and fool your friends or fool your family as a game, and they, you have to say three statements, and then they have to dis, uh, let you know which one is a lie and which one's true, okay? So I'm going to start off this series. You know, like Pastor Justin said, we're going to try some stuff. We're going to have some people maybe preach on something that's almost true but not quite true, and you guys are going to have to decide. I'm not going to do that today because I'm talking about the concept of truth, and I do not want to lie to you today, okay? But uh, we are going to play this game, okay? So I want to talk about me, two truths and a lie about me. So are you ready? You can chat with your neighbor if you want, okay? Two truths and a lie about me. One, I have webbed toes. Two, I love running. (laughs) It was a BMO marathon today, and a lot of people that love running weren't here at the first service. You might be here. Most likely you're here. I like to call the second service the sunglasses and Advil service, you know? You were up late last night. Uh, Praise God. We're glad you're here. Um, Number three, my name is not really Kobe. Okay, so drum roll, please, okay? The, The lie is... I actually hate running. 
You're all like, obviously, dude. How dare you? You know, but no, I actually have webbed toes, okay? My wife still married me, and we still had four kids. It's crazy. None of them inherited this uh, deformation or whatever it is, but she just makes me keep my socks on. Can we get an amen in the house, okay? And, uh, and I also, my name's not really Kobe. My name's actually Jacob. Actually, if you look up Kobe in the dictionary, it means the same thing as Jacob. It's just a short term. My grandfather's name was Jacob, and my mom didn't want to call me an old man's name, but I got back at her. I named my firstborn son, Jacob. Why? Because I'm a narcissist. Praise the Lord. Amen. (laughs) Jacob II right there. All right, so we're dealing with this topic of truth today. Now, I want to play another two truths and a lie, but not about me, about the topic at hand today, and I'm not going to answer it right away. I will before we get into the the, to the meat of the message, but, uh, but I want it to sit with you for a little bit. So I'm going to go two tr- truths and a lie on truth. Okay, here they are. Number one, God defines truth. Number one. Number two, my personal experiences clearly enlighten me about what's true. Okay, and, and number three, number one, two, and three, it's possible for me to understand and know what is true. So I want, I want you to sit with that, and I want to ask the question that Pilate asked Jesus in that moment where he was contemplating what was true as he, as he judged the Son of God and condemned him to be crucified. What is truth? I've got a couple quotes on uh, truth to get us started. G.K. Chesterton said this, the truths of religion are unprovable, but the facts of science are unproved. Confucius said this, Those who know the truth are not equal to those who love it. Muhammad Ali said this, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. I'm just joking. That's not it. (laughs) That'd be cool though, you know? He said, jokes, there are no jokes. The truth is the funniest joke of all. George Orwell said this, in a time of deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. What is truth? Man, man, as I was studying for this and preparing for this message, it was really difficult. This is kind of a hard topic to tap into on 20 minutes on like a Sunday morning, you know what I mean? It's like, Kobe, can we just do like Jesus loves you or something, you know? But, but I, I was fascinated by how difficult it was to prepare a message on truth. It's like, isn't it true today? Listen, we have more knowledge than we've ever had in the history of humanity by a factor of like 100,000. Actually, uh, I read a stat a a couple of months ago that like every few months, and it's getting faster and faster and faster, the knowledge we have on planet Earth doubles. More knowledge, faster computation. Uh, there's, there's social media and there's, there's all the knowledge of everybody on planet earth all at the same time. We can talk to people immediately. Isn't it amazing? You can just pick up the phone and talk to somebody on the other side of the earth and your voice hits their ear immediately. Like we have this incredible technology. We have this incredible ability to study. We have all the information right at our fingertips. Elon Musk is working on some brain thing where you can just read the internet with your mind or something. Not too sure about that one, but it's all happening. And with all this knowledge and all this wisdom right in front of us, it's almost as if truth has not gotten more clear, but it's gotten more foggy. And and it's, uh, you know, as I was researching and looking into truth, I thought that truth would be just more self-evident, 
more obvious, more apparent, that it would be so easy to see what's true because it's true. In fact, it's actually more difficult with more knowledge than to, to, to see what's true. I, I, I've heard a great quote. Maybe you've heard it before. I think it's from Mark Twain. And it says that the lie will make its way around the world before truth has a chance to get its shoes on. And, and, and there's so much information and so much knowledge. How in the midst of the situation we're in as humanity right now and the technology and everything we have, how do we as Christians, especially Christians, church, this is so important for us to get, how do we determine what is true? I want to go to another quote. This is a quote from one of my favorite people, Jesus Christ. And, and it's something Jesus said about truth. And I want to encourage you with what Jesus says, John 8, 31 and 32. Jesus says this, if you hold to my teaching... Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I want to encourage you today. I might not be able to explain all the philosophy and, and all the ideas and all the truths that exist to you today, and you might not leave here knowing so much more about truth, but you can at least leave here with this promise from God himself that if you abide with the Lord, if you trust God, if you walk with God, the Bible promises this, that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Can I get a big amen in church today? Come on. Listen, yeah, there you go. You can clap. We have a rule at Vivid. If one person claps, everybody got to clap, okay? Unless they're a troll, then nobody can clap, okay? You can know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What is truth? God, thank you for giving me this promise that I can know truth, but what on earth is truth? Well, let's start at the beginning. You know, I find it so interesting that... that um, Right at the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, God gives us one of the biggest clues into how we ought to define truth. So turn with me, Genesis 1, verse 1. I, wa I want to also point out that there's something in the Bible called the principle of first mention. When you're studying scripture, there's this uh, uh, hermeneutic, this, this principle, that the first time something's message, uh, mentioned in scripture, we should give it special attention, and it has more theological significance often than the second or third time it's mentioned. Okay? So Genesis 1.1. Watch, the Bible says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the first verse, we have something incredible. We have time, space, and matter. God being the Lord of all three. In the beginning, time, God created the heavens, space, and the earth. Matter. Before we, we knew what, what the scientists would figure out about the universe, that time was relative and, that it need, and all this type of stuff, and, 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 and I mean, it was right there in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the Bible says this, now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So, so the universe was created, and there was chaos there was no order, and we see God's spirit. It's almost like he's surveying the universe, getting ready for action. And the Bible says, into the chaos, here's what God does. God speaks, and he says, let there be light. And at 186,000 miles per second, light shot out of the mouth of God. And the Bible says, there was light. Man, 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 I just want to tell you something that's so awesome about God. This is like the first truth moment in the Bible. When God speaks, 
His words are so true that the universe has to snap into obedience. God, God, God is the source of all truth. And if God doesn't agree with it, it is not true. But if God agrees with it, it has to be true. So much so that simply by the act of speaking, God can create with his words. That's the power of God's truth. Actually, the same thing happened if you received Jesus and believed in him. The same chaos was on the inside of you. And God spoke into your heart. And you became a new creation. And look what the Bible says next. It says, and God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And just like in the universe, as God separated light from darkness, from his truth, when he spoke in you, a miracle happened and light and darkness started to separate as you became a new creation. This is our God. He speaks into our life. He speaks into the world. He speaks into creation. And it snaps into obedience and order under the command of his word. This is the first instance of truth in the Bible. It's true. You see, see this, this concept of truth, uh, the Greek word that we use is logos. Logos. It's the word of God. The word, the creative force of God that snaps chaos into order. uh, Psychologists even explain this kind of conundrum of logos in, in our existence and in our consciousness and how it's not just something that exists out there, but literally we are shaped by this great logos. If you've ever heard of someone being in the zone, psychologists call that the zone of proximal development. And it's when you're stretching to the limits of your ability and you're on the edge of chaos and order and you're creating something new with a new skill or a new ability and you're like, man, I was just in the zone. That's the zone of proximal development. And what we're doing is we're mimicking the great logos of God when we do that. Isn't that crazy? It's like when we see a figure skater going. I met a figure skater guy last night. He was the 2002 uh, Canadian champion figure skater. I was officiating a wedding, and he's one of the guys there. And I was thinking of like... And like they land, and it's so crazy because they're like dancing on the ice, and we're watching, and we're kind of like, I don't know why he's wearing a sparkly outfit, but this is crazy, you know? And, and they're moving, and they're grooving, and, and, and when they land and they stick something, the, the crowd goes, and it's almost like we can't help it because we're watching the personification of a concept that's way deeper than figure skating. We're, we're watching chaos and order meet and, and he's on the cusp of their, his ability and the cusp of falling. And when we see that, something in our soul rejoices and we don't even know it. But it's like the rocks crying out to God like, that's truth. That, that's, it's, there's logos. It's ha- when we watch basketball and John ja Morant is jumping like seven feet in the air and dunking the ball and there's chaos and it's crazy. What we're doing is we're seeing this word, this thing that God put in the universe and we're excited by it and we want to cheer and we want to celebrate because there's the fingerprint of God in us crying out, there must be more. It's truth. Come on, so we just got real philosophical in church. That was crazy. I'm so out of breath right now because I don't like running. 
I need to run. <laughs> I, I ran four times this week. Every second, I hated my life. You know what I mean? <laughs> Every second of it, I hated it. Praise God. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's logos. It's logos. It's the creative force of God that created the universe because his words are so true that we snap into obedience with his will. It's the truth of God. Enter the enemy. As soon as we see God's truth, God's like, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's all good, very good. True, 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 true. Then we see the enemy come in, the serpent. And remember the principle of first mention. So, so we saw the first instance of God speaking in truth. Now we see the first instance of a lie. Watch this. Genesis 3 verse 1. Now the serpent, still out of breath, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? See, this is how the devil lies to you. Did God really say that you should A, B, C, and D? That's stupid, isn't it? Like, he'll just mock God's logos right in front of you. He's like, ah, that sounds dumb. God's kind of dumb, isn't he? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, he's so dumb. I, you seem cool, you know? He said, the woman said to the serpent, oh, God said we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You must touch it or you will die. People always ask, why did God put that tree in the middle of the garden? Because love demands a choice. And, and if, we're really follow, if we really want to follow God and love God, we need the option to disobey him and not love him so that we know that we really love him. We are not robots. God created people to have relationship and connection with him, and God gave us an out in the middle of the garden. Do I love your logos and your truth, or am I going to go my own way? So Satan just goes, did God really say this? Doesn't that tree look delicious? I know you got these one million other trees, but what about the one? Why would God do that? You should touch it. Just touch it. You know, like, <laughs> you will certainly, uh, she, God said you'll certainly die. Um, and, and then, oh, sorry, uh, the, verse four, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. Now he's just totally lying. He says, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. Listen, I know God has the logos, but you actually have something real special that's better than what God has. You have the ability to know. You have the ability to have wisdom. Do you see the temptation? See, the first lie was a lie about truth. Maybe the reason we're so confused about truth is because this is like the number one thing the enemy wants us to confuse us about. So we have no unity about who God is and what earth is and who we are. Because we're just stuck in like the confusion of a million different lies. And then verse 6 says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes, she also, uh, and also uh, desirable for gaining wisdom, uh, she took it and ate it. And at that moment, the, the course of human history was forever changed. Sin entered the world because we gave up the logos of God for a lie from the enemy. And, and, and here's what that lie is. And here's what I want you to be looking out for in your own life. Okay? So we talk about logos. Let me give you another theological word that we can compare it against. See, God is the great logos, that's his word, and the devil was trying to speak to our pathos. Our pathos is our lived experience. 
Logos is God's truth. Pathos is my truth. I know if you've ever heard that before. I'm just living my truth. You, you know, hey, listen, God cares about your pathos, but God's logos is greater than our pathos. See, see, the first lie is, I know how you feel, you want to, you want to do this. You know, that's not really, that's not really uh, your truth, is it? Just staying away from this tree. Maybe, maybe your truth would be maybe just to get some wisdom because God doesn't really want you to have that wisdom and that power. He's hoarding that all for himself. He's such an oppressive God. You need to take a bite from this tree. And, and, and he's appealing to the pathos of humanity. And then what happens when we sin is we say, man, God's not God. I'm God. I get to decide what's true. I get to decide what's right. I get to decide morality. And I'm going to elevate my pathos over God's logos. Christians, we can't do this anymore. We, listen, we've got the church. I'm speaking to the church right now. I'm speaking to people who love Jesus and believe in Jesus. Our literal job is to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Jesus. We've got to live not through a lens of our experience. We've got to live through the lens of God's truth and logos. God's compassionate about your pathos. He loves you so much. He knows you and empathizes with you better than anybody ever could every second because he's all wise and he knows the hairs on your head. But man, do we get it wrong when we take our pain and our pathos and elevate it higher than God's word just because we're having a week. See, the job of a Christian is I will not have a worldview based off of my culture. I will not have a worldview based off of Twitter, please. I will not have a worldview based off of what my parents said or what I believe in my mind. I'm going to elevate logos over pathos. That's what Christians do. So I haven't really answered our question yet. I've just lost a lot of breath and danced around up here like a figure skater. So I want to give you some practical keys to discovering truth. Like I said, I might not be able to answer this question, but how do I elevate logos over pathos? How do I do this? Friends, I'll tell you right now, it's really hard to do because <laughs> our pathos is so overwhelming. It's just us all the time and, and it's so believable and it's so real and sometimes it's so difficult to lift up what God says over what we want. So how do we do that? So, so here's two truths you can take to the bank. It's two truths and a lie. I'm just going to give you two truths today. Here's number one. Here's to help you. I want to build you up. I want to give you some practical keys on how to do this. Number one, you got to realize this. God's word is truth. Amen. Hey, if we, if we want to elevate God's word over my life, I've got to recognize that God's word is truth. I don't have an a analog Bible today. I have a digital Bible, okay? Man, man listen, the logos. See that? cat-like reflexes. <laughs> Holy Spirit power. <laughs> hey, I, I, I can hold the logos in the palm of my hand. I, I, got, I got lots of translations on here too. It's pretty cool. But God, God has preserved his word for us so we can absorb it and we can read it and we can love it and we can live it. Man, one of the best habits I ever formed in my life was waking up in the morning and opening up the logos, the creative force that 
made light shoot into the universe can speak to my spirit again and again and again. And I'm so glad I have it because my life is crazy and my pathos is overwhelming and I get in fights with my wife and my kids are nuts and I'm overwhelmed and I'm anxious and I eat too much and I never go on runs. (laughs) And then I wake up and my pathos is, and I'm mad at people, and I just want to call them and say, why don't you just leave, you know, like, anybody like that? And then, I, and then I get with the logos, and it changes me, and it shapes me, and it helps me, and, it, and I elevate it above my pathos so that God can be Lord of my life, and the truth can set me free. That's what we do. That's called being a Christian. That's how we operate. Look what John 8, 8, uh, John 8, 31 says in the ESV translation. If you not just live by my teaching, watch what it says. If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. Abide. If, if you live in it, wouldn't it be cool you just climb in your Bible? If you grew up Christian, it's the imagination station, okay? That's for you. That's for you, Trish. That's what I'm talking about, Okay. There's a little cartoon in the head of Imagination Station that lived Bible stories. It was amazing. Um, John 17, 17 says, your word is truth. If you abide in my word, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Live in that word. I want to challenge every person in this room. Come on, you have access to the Bible. Get that on your phone. Get that on your desk. Wake up a little bit early. I think the Holy Spirit moves more powerfully in the morning. Can I get a big amen? And I think it even works better if you got coffee. Can I get a big amen? I don't know about you. That coffee does something. Lord created, day eight, he created coffee. He said that it was good, and he gave it to the church. Amen. And you shall set up coffee bars in the back for the 12 o'clock service. Uh, Hey, the logos fits in the palm of your hand. What is the Bible? It's not a philosophy book. A lot of people approach the Bible, it's really philosophical, and there's a lot of deep... Hey, listen, there's good ideas in the Bible. There's great philosophy in the Bible. That's not what it is, okay? The Bible is not an explanation or definition of what truth is. You're going to be hard-pressed to find, like, here's the Webster's Meridian definition of truth in the Bible. The Bible doesn't just describe truth. The Bible is truth. So we don't spend time understanding what truth is. We spend time with the truth, and the truth sets us free. The Bible is a soteriological book. It's a doctrine of salvation. What the Bible is, is it's the message of God to you about who he is. God wants to show you who he is. The Bible's not about you. The Bible's not about me. The Bible is to me about God. And when I know the truth of who God is, it orders the chaos of my life so I might be able to determine what is true. And that truth will set me free. This is how Christians navigate 2022. We elevate logos over pathos. 2 Timothy 3 says, all scripture is breathed out by God. Listen, scripture was written by 35 different authors over 1,500 years and amalgamated into 66 books, but really there's not 35 human authors. There's one divine author, the Holy Spirit, who inspired the writers to make one great big book all about Jesus that prophetically lines up in an algorithmically impossible way that's unfathomable. Unfathomable. I can talk today. This is my second service, and I need one more coffee. Okay, leave me alone. Um, 
And here's why. Uh, so, so it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped with every single good work. That's what the Bible's for. Hey, listen, two truths and a lie, okay? We talked about it. The, 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 three, lie, uh, the three statements where God defines truth, my personal experiences light me about truth. It's possible for me to understand and know what's tru- true. You know what's awesome? God defines truth, and it's possible for us to understand truth and that truth to shape our life through his word. If you ha- haven't figured it out yet, the lie is my pathos and personal experiences are not good at enlightening me about what's true. I've got to go to God's word. And when I go to God's word, it shapes me and trains me in righteousness. Why? So I might be complete. The Bible says, when when am I complete? On the day when Christ Jesus returns. So God's not done with you yet. He's through his logos shaping you and training you to be free in his truth. Here's here's three great things about the Bible under this point that that I want to encourage you with, okay? So uh, number one, God's word is truth. Where are we? Here we go. Here's what I want to encourage you with the Bible. This is going to be so encouraging for some of you, and and it might blow your mind a little bit. You can understand God. Yes, you can. Isn't that awesome? I I was talking to uh, like a spiritual person recently. Like I'm like, do you go to church? They're like, no, but I'm very spiritual. You know, and they're very sweet, right? But I always ask questions because I want to know, like, okay, what, where are we going here? They all often will say love and light, love and light, love and light, you know? And, uh, and, and I'm like, okay, what's God? And, and the, the answer's always kind of weird, you know? It's like, God is you. God is everywhere. God is tree. God is me. And I'm like, put the joint down, okay? Like, it's just... It's too, too, uh, too much, you know, <laughs> joking, I love you. But, but, but the, there's, this, there's this prevalent idea right now, isn't there? That like, you can't understand God, he's too big to understand. Hell, I, 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 God, if God's there, he, he must be so mystical and so woo, and you, you need to take a psychedelic drug and go to the center of the universe and commune with the, the Martians and, and talk to God, and, and, and there's all these ideas out there right now of who God is. No, 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 no. The Bible says that God has a name, and his name is Jesus, that God can be defined, that God has chosen to define himself. Why? Because he wants us to know him. And so he, in his sovereignty, as big as he is, has given us the ability to understand him by revealing his divine characteristics in his word. And when you read his word, you can understand and know the God that said, let there be light at the beginning of the universe. That's the job of the church. We want them to know Jesus. Here's the other thing I want to encourage you with, is you can understand morality when you read your Bible. Not only can you understand logos, you can understand God. You can understand how to have a relationship with him. See, that's what morality is. See, isn't it crazy? Truth sets you free. Truth is confining. Truth has, has an answer. 
You know, one reason it's hard to find truth in our society is we're so offendable that if we're to share truth, even in a loving, compassionate way, see, a lot of Christians, you just share truth, it's not in a loving and compassionate way, and you're just mean. And that's not how we do it. That's not how the Lord does it. We, we, we share the truth not, not to condemn the world. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. And we always have a spirit of love and compassion and understanding because we're ministering to people who do not believe what we believe, and that might not even be their immediate fault, and we have to have the love of Christ for them as we share truth. But, but the fact remains, it's still truth. It's confining. It's defining. But Jesus says truth doesn't confine you. Truth, in fact, sets you free. And when you understand truth, you understand the reality of God, and you're free to love him, you're free to obey him, you're free to live in a way that that honors the holiness of God, so you can discover your purpose. That's what you discover in the Bible. And every morning, God beats me over the head with it, and I have to change. Can I get a big amen? But I'm so glad that God loved me enough not to keep me the way I was when I met him. And every day I get to be more like Jesus. And I'm not perfect yet, guys. But one day when Jesus comes back, come on. Yeah. We're going to be like him. Amen? Yeah. And, and uh, let, number, number three under this point, you can obey God's truth. You can obey God's truth. How do you, you obey God? We've been talking about it all day. Just elevate his logos over your pathos. <laughs> God, I see it in your word. This is what David said in Psalm 139, 23, the great psalmist. He says, search me and know me. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See, is there any offensive way in me? And lead me in the way everlasting. See, God's word, you don't just read it, it reads you. And it gives you the ability to obey God, the desire to obey God, the desire to love God. As you elevate logos over your silly situation, God's truth begins to change you and empowers you to be obedient to him. I mean, I, mean, I love this story in the Bible uh, about Job. If you've, if you've never read through the whole Bible, you've got to take a day and just read through Job. It, it's one of the first books ever written in the Old Testament. And uh, and Job was a righteous man before God, and it starts off with the devil going to God. And the devil says, oh, I see how righteous Job is. Look at how good he is. He's just your good little boy, isn't he, God? But you know why he's so good? It's because his life is so easy. And I bet if we made his life harder, if we screwed up his pathos, he wouldn't elevate your logos anymore. He wouldn't follow you anymore. He wouldn't serve you anymore. And God says, you can try, but Job's my guy. And that rhymes. <laughs> and, and, and the Bible says that, that God gave the devil permission to mess up his life a bit. And, and, and Job started to really, really suffer. And he had like boils on his skin. And he lost his family. And he lost everything he owned. And he was just like kind of despised and alone on the road. And he had some loser friends that kept on having crazy arguments with him. And, and, and the Bible says that he never sinned in what he said. But he was questioning God. And Job's pathos became so overwhelming because of his pain that he had all these questions about the justice of God and questions about if God would ever even save him or if he should have ever been born and he's saying all these things. And all of a sudden, in Job chapter 38, God starts to speak. And that same logos that spoke the world into existence confronts Job in the middle of his overwhelming pathos. And man, is it terrifying. God says this, literally, I won't even read it, it's a little too long, but he goes up to me and says, Job, 
Stand up and face me like a man. Where were you when I created the foundations of the earth? Jude, can you count the clouds, Job? You sound so wise. How many clouds are there? Hey, Job, how many deers were born today? Do you know how many hills there are? Why don't you enlighten me, oh wise one? I'm like, God, oh my gosh, you got some attitude, you know? And Job is like, oh. And then like a chapter later, he's like, I don't know, Lord. He's like, God's like, I'm not done. And, and Logos just keeps hammering him with truth. And Job, in the middle of his overwhelming pathos, doesn't even know what to do. And at the end, we see Job so humbled by coming in contact with Logos that he goes, God, I'm humbled. I know nothing. You're good. You're amazing. And the Bible says all of a sudden when Job just lifted up Logos over his pathos, he was just insanely blessed. And God loved him. And it's the greatest revelation that I've ever seen of someone in the middle of our pathos, in the middle of our pain, in the middle of the complexities. When we come in contact with the word of God, all of a sudden we're about to snap back into alignment. Our chaos is going to come into order. Christians, this is what we do. We elevate in the most painful circumstances. God is faithful. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are so much higher than my thoughts. I don't understand why it happened or what's going on. All I know is he's still king. He still has a plan, and he's still good. You might be like, Pastor, this is crazy. I don't know how to handle all of that. I want to give you one more piece of encouragement with this last point. Because not only is God's word truth, God's spirit is truth. (laughs) You see, in John chapter 1, this is so good. John retells the creation narrative in the New Testament. Instead of saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, John says this, John chapter 1. He, He retells this in light of our revelation of Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the word. You know what that word is? Logos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then in chapter 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Friends, truth is not just a concept that formed the universe. Truth put clothes on and came in the person of Jesus and died on the cross for our sins so that same truth that met Job with power could meet us with grace. (laughs) So, So truth is not just a concept we discover in the word. Truth is a person that you can have invited into your very spirit to live within you called the Holy Spirit. Truth is not a concept. Truth is a person named Jesus. Friends, I'm not going to be able to explain this all the way, but I can introduce you to somebody called Jesus. And he can help you. The Bible says this, that God's spirit, he leads us into all truth. If you're being confused, you're reading the Bible, you're like, I don't get it. Trust the Holy Spirit. He will help you. You might not get it in that minute, but he might put you in a great church. 
You might get some great people around you. He might make you confused just so you'll be humbled enough to get around good people in your life that can help you. Can I get a big amen? God will use people. He'll use circumstances. He'll do whatever he can. He can get truth into your heart. You can believe something you never thought you could believe by the power of the Holy Spirit. You you can sift through the lies. You can trust the Lord. So often, the reason we believe lies is because we leave God out of our decision making. We've got to invite him back in. We've got to trust him. We've got to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he might lift us up, so that we might see and have a revelation of his great logos. The word became flesh. There's another instance in the Bible where that same logos comes in contact with a person and it's so profound. See, Jesus was walking and he was going to go minister somewhere and he takes a weird detour through Samaria. And and if you know kind of biblical history, Samaria was a place that was void of God, according to the Jews, because it was like a cult that worshiped God in the wrong way. And everyone there was just depraved. Jews would not even walk through. And here comes Jesus in a place he didn't even belong. He's walking through Skid Row. Here he is, he's just waving, you know, Jesus. And, and he comes in contact with a woman at a well. And, and it's an amazing story. I, I would encourage you to go read it in John chapter 4. But he just starts talking to this lady, and, and she's asking him questions. And all of a sudden, the great truth of the universe, the great logo, starts just reading her thoughts in like her mind. He's like, you've had tons of husbands. You've been up to no good. Everybody's heads are falling off. That's just a joke, sorry. It's been a long day. And she's like, oh my goodness. How do you know this about me? You must be a prophet. And then Jesus reveals truth to her. He says, listen, you don't know about religion. You don't know about worship, all this stuff. But someone has just showed up. Truth has showed up. And true worshipers, this is how you're going to begin to worship, in spirit and in truth. And church, listen, when grace and truth show up in your life, full of truth Listen, that same truth that met Job and confronted pathos head on wants to confront you in your Bible time. And it's going to be tough. And it's going to be heartbreaking. It's going to be hard. And there might be something you've been building on for a long time and God just whips the chair out and says, that's not how you think about this. We're going to think about it my way. But Jesus comes full of truth and full of grace. He says, but I'm here to help. We're going to do this together. I've got you. You might be in Samaria in a place where no one wants to touch you or talk to you, and you feel like you have no business being in the the presence of God. But true worshipers are going to connect with me in spirit and in truth. So when grace and truth show up, we respond in spirit and truth. What's spirit and truth, Pastor Kobe? I'll close with this. Spirit and truth is this. True worship, spirit and truth worship is knowing God. It's knowing God. If you want to understand truth and it set you free, get to know him. Invite him into your life. Invite him into your atmosphere. That same Jesus is walking by you, passing by your bedroom every night. He's waiting. He's sitting in your car. He's riding shotgun. You didn't even know it. And when we know him, we realize him, how he's revealed himself in his word. We've come in contact, and we're able to worship in truth, the true God, the name of Jesus. And and here's such a powerful thought. True worship means earnest conviction. I'm not just worshiping the true God of the universe, but I'm worshiping him for real. I'm not a Christian just because my mom was a Christian. I'm not a Christian just because I go to church because there's friends there. I'm not a Christian just because it has some good concepts. I'm a Christian because from the bottom of my heart, even though I don't know how, 
even though I only have a mustard seed of faith, Lord, I really need you. I'm really worshiping you. You really have all of me. I'm really going towards you. It's spirit and truth worship. And when we worship like that, we know the truth, and the truth can set us free. We elevate our logos over our pathos. It's so important today. You know, my son Jacob is an amazing kid, and uh, he's, such a, <laughs> he's such an awesome young guy. He's always helping out around the house. Whenever Jen is tired, he goes, Mom, is there anything I can do to help? 11 years old. Mom, anything? Okay, I'll take care of Judah. Don't worry. I've got it. You know, such a sweet kid. He loves basketball. And as he was growing up, as many parents in the room may know, he dealt with telling little white lies. He had a, he had a lying problem. It was so funny because his name's Jacob. The name Jacob actually means deceiver. <laughs> and so every time we'd catch him in a lie, he's like, I'm just living up to my name. <laughs> oh, God, I just, I just, why did you name me this? <laughs> And I'm like, because God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's your God. He's your God even when you're in sin. He loves you. And I get really weird. <laughs> and he's like, Dad, don't ever do that again. That was, that was scary. <laughs> but I remember one time I was up in his room. <laughs> and I find this little candy wrapper. And I kind of know what's going on. I'm like, hey, Jacob, come here. And I go, hey, man. What's, what's this all about? Little candy wrapper. He's like, I have no idea. That is so weird. That, that would be in here. Jed, it's probably, it's probably my little brother Jed, Dad. I'm sure he did something about it. He's crazy, you know? He's like justifying it. And I'm like, are you sure, Jacob? And then I just see it in his eyes. He starts to well up. He goes, Dad, I've been lying. It's happening again, you know? And I'm like, all right, son, well, tell me the truth. And he walks over to his bed. <laughs> and he lifts up his pillow. And there must have been a hundred candy wrappers <laughs> stuffed under his pillow. There he is. He's just nom, 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 nom all night. I'm like, I'm wondering why you're so tired and you threw up, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, is that it? He's like, No. <laughs> And he opens up this cabinet, and he's got like this thing of candies. And he goes, Dad, when I go to sleep, I wait till you're asleep, and I sneak downstairs, and I go into the candy cupboard, and I put it in here, and I eat it while I'm sleeping, you know? And he goes, it's okay. I'll just, I'll just live outside. <laughs> he thinks I'm going to like kick him out of the house. Get out of here, you 11-year-old. That's too much candy, you know? I said, hey, man. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. You know why? Love rejoices with the truth. Love rejoices with the truth. I'm like, that was, that took courage. You told your dad the truth. That's awesome. And, and you bared your heart. That's, that's, that's integrity. That's character. That's repentance. That's what Christians do. That's how we live. I want to tell you, friend, you might have been listening to this message and be like, my life's a lie. I have secret sin. This is crazy. I don't want to be like Job. Ah! 
I want to promise you today, if you would get honest with God and worship him in spirit and in truth and bear your heart to the God of the universe, maybe something you've been so scared of doing because of how my God might react and how he might respond to you, the Bible says that love rejoices in the truth. And as you get honest with God, he's going to express his reality to you through his word. And as you walk with him, he will teach you and he will begin to work on you in a powerful way and the truth will set you free. I don't know if I helped you today, but I hope I introduced you to how good our God is. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.